It's February 8, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson for Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here on DuPont Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with Laura Hoffman, lifelong resident and activist. Hi, Laura. Hi. Um, well, yeah, my name is Laura Hoffman. Um, lifelong Greenpoint resident, um, wife of a Navy veteran from the Vietnam War. Um, I've been an artist. Um, I'm currently working as a housing counselor and I've been extremely active in, in the neighborhood in environmental parks and waterfront issues since I'd say the early 1990s. So I started getting involved with the uh, environmental issues be mainly because my husband and I were running a softball tournament in um, Barge Park. With the real name is uh, Greenpoint Playground and uh, Newtown Barge Terminal Playground. And the kids were and kids and we were smelling a lot of different odors. Um, a couple of times there were hazmat teams down at the, the playground. We didn't know what was going on. So we started really researching to see wh what was happening. So we, we found out that there was a, um, an entity called the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee and that they were doing some work in our area. So we attended a meeting and learned that a structure across the street from the playground was actually a, a sewage sludge tank and that um, a lot of the odors we were smelling was raw sewage, um, maybe feet away from where the children were playing ball. So we were very alarmed about that and, you know, wanting to know if it was harming them, you know, harming their health. Because um, we had seen a lot of kids in, in the tournament with uh, an array of disabilities, um, especially asthmas and, you know, those kind of things. A couple of kids we learned had leukemias, so, you know, we were really concerned. Um, it's. What started off just like a little bit of a learning session ended up in a crash course. Um, we found out that uh, on the other side of the playground, there, there was a PVC manufacturer and it was active. Um, that also was alarming because me, my husband and our children used to have a, a green thumb plot across the street from the, uh, from from the factory, the name of it was New Heart, and we, you know, we were, we got concerned about that, even though we didn't really understand at that time that um, the fallout from from the emissions was probably affecting the the vegetable garden. So, and my kids used to actually play ball against the wall of that factory. So there were a lot of things like going on at the time, a lot of things we were learning like, you know, on different paths. We started learning that um, we didn't have, we didn't have a clue how close actually we were to the Newtown Creek, you know, just a couple of blocks away because when we used to walk down to Manhattan Avenue Street End, there was nothing there but rubble and very large pillars and a lot of 
a lot of garbage, cars, abandoned trucks, and that kind of thing. And we weren't the type of people to, you know, like trespass. You know, we had no idea it was public, public land there. Um, but then, uh, but then we 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 learned about an organization called Waterways and Greenviews. You know, who were bringing attention to the fact that we were very close to the water and that we were entitled to have um, waterfront access. Um, and also at that time, another thing that was happening was I was ill. Um, I had given birth to my daughter in 1989, and not long after the birth, I started having a lot of swollen joints and different symptoms I had over the years before that were really exacerbated. So um, I ended up not being able to travel well because of the symptoms, and I used to stay pretty close to home. And for a good long while, um, I, w I w felt so ill that I, I was really scared. I thought I had cancer. Um, I think I was like 28 at the time, you know? Um, I remember days where I had to put my arm up on top of the dresser to hold up my um, hair dryer because my arms were too weak to hold the, air, the hair dryer up. So I found out a few years later that, that I had, at that time I was diagnosed as having lupus. Um, that wasn't the first time I heard that word um, because a couple of people in the building had already died from lupus. Um, one, one of our friends had, she actually died from the medications to treat lupus. <clears throat> and um, so all this was going on on different paths as I was getting more involved in the environmental issues. I was also finding out more about the conditions I was starting to find out that a lot of other people in the neighborhood had the same kind of conditions. And as I said before, um, we were running a softball tournament and one of the um, coach's wives, we learned had a very young woman had died from primary brain cancer. Then one of my daughter's classmates also died from pri primary uh, brain cancer. Um, also, one of my husband's former co-workers who worked on Green Street in the factory, she died from primary brain cancer. And it was something that we had never heard about. To make that story shorter, um, within about a year, I, I had learned about 10 people who had primary brain cancer. Some survived, some, some didn't. I also had learned that there were, um, I'd say about 15 people that had different types of autoimmune disorders. In this building, in addition to um, people having, having had lupus, um, many of them had rheumatoid arthritis and other conditions like that, also autoimmune diseases. So for me, I, I didn't I didn't need to see a study right, because my my life was becoming a study my community was becoming a study for me it was as simple as starting to write 
to write this stuff down, you know. And I saw, I saw a big failure in the local politics, you know, to do that, to document things. <clears throat> I, over the years, you know, we ended up um, being involved with a number of fights, you know, to, you know, improve the environment. Um, we, we were part of fighting a battle against the power plant. Um, you know, we were, we, my husband and I were, were task force members of, um, of the, oh my God, I, I, now the name escapes me, <laughs> the Greenpoint Waterfront, Williamsburg Waterfront, Greenpoint and Williamsburg Waterfront Task Force Against the Power Plant. <laughs> so there's been a lot of ac acronyms over the years. Um, we also, we also joined that Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee that I, that I mentioned. Um, we, became, we became involved with people that were honed in on the health of the creek um, and you know, wanting waterfront access on the creek. So we were involved with green, green views and waterways. Um, and uh, we had, we had like monthly meetings with what now is the Newtown Creek Alliance. Um, people, you know, people were just like starting to connect with this chemistry, you know, of wanting, you know, to improve things. So with, with that going on also, um, as time went by, a lot of people in my family were becoming ill. My, my son had asthma suddenly. I had asthma suddenly. We learned that once the, um, once the new heart factory stopped um, pumping out the emissions, you know, the plasticizers, the asthma symptoms went away for my son. Mine never did. So I have a mild asthma. Um, my mother, father, and their dog all died from, from separate and rare brain diseases. My mother passed away from, uh, I always cry when I say this, <laughs> but my mother passed away from primary brain cancer, CNS lymphoma. My father passed away from progressive supranuclear palsy and their dog died from encephalopathy. So, and I, I thought it was a shame that I'm even able to rattle off those names, you know? Um, my daughter has lupus. I'm currently diagnosed with UCTD, um, which is undifferentiated connective tissue disorder, which I, which I refer to as WTF. It's like, <laughs> I don't, I won't repeat that. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of like saying, well, the, the blood work isn't coming in positive, but you have all the symptoms of lupus. My oldest son has has an, a myriad of autoimmune diseases and symptoms. He's he's already had alopecia. He's ha he's he has um, an autoimmune disease affecting the bladder. Um, they they thought that he had lupus, but he was never diagnosed that way because because the the then the doctors didn't make the diagnosis simply because he's a male. Because um, lupus is typically 
that's a, a disease that affects women. So he's kind of stuck in this diagnostic limbo. Um, then there's been other issues. My, that son and his wife had five children. Um, with, within that, within her childbearing years, um, two of my grandchildren are from sets of twins. Um, so the, the first, the first pair of twins, um, the, the baby died in, in the, in, in the womb. Um, they later learned that the, and my, her, her brother was born, but he was born at, I think one pound, eight ounces, something like that. And, um, the baby, the baby had Edwards syndrome which is a very rare, a very rare um, birth defect. Then she had another, uh, she was pregnant with another set of twins. And one baby, they, the doctors learned how to keep the baby in the womb with that pregnancy. But they also confirmed that the twin that died in, in the womb also had Edwards syndrome. So, first of all, to have twins back-to-back -back that have birth defects is like, they, the doctors defined it as not the odds being even greater than being hit by lightning twice, um, particularly because of the Edwards syndrome. So this is how rare it is. So still, um, Still, the New York State of uh, the New York State Department of Health didn't see this as you know particularly. Um, I don't know what what word to use for that, but but particularly rare or concerning piece of information, which which I thought was just reprehensible because it, an idiot can figure that out. Um, I've been actually able to figure out problem areas in the neighborhood just by just by by putting dots on a map and indicating the types of cancers that my aunts and uncles passed away from. Um, the aunts and uncles who lived closest were on top of the Greenpoint oil spill, passed away from diseases like leukemias and lymphomas. The, the ones that were closer to this end of the neighborhood who, um, who were like between the sewage treatment facility and the creek and the PVC manufacturer, those are the ones that died from the brain cancers. The ones that lived on the other side of the creek in Queens, those are the ones that passed away from the liver cancers and from the bladder cancers. And when, so I, I'm hoping whoever's listening to this gets the gist that, um, so yeah, there's a pattern here, you know, and a pattern just in one big family. So if I'm able to just without a pencil and paper figure out that there's a pattern, then I, then I know for sure that the, the, the state, the state, city, and federal agencies are able to draw those same dots. And 
they they are able to establish um, a way to study that. So the agencies failed, though, um, and I believe that they failed on purpose. Um, I think that it was a, a cover up. I I think that when the when Greenpoint was um, rezoned, that it was a community cleansing. They not only cleaned out, they not only displaced and cleaned out um, the people of color, but they also they also swept away all of the evidence of any um, environmental health issues because now people were living in different communities, dying in different communities, which was the case with my mother's neighbor. As, you, as I stated before, my mother, father, and dog died from brain diseases, my mother from brain cancer. And here across the street from her, her neighbor and her son both had um, brain diseases, um, brain tumors, and um, her, her friend actually passed away from primary brain cancer. So since she passed away in a different community and out of New York City, um, she, her, she will never, her, her statistic will ne never appear on a Greenpoint, um, I'm not even sure what the term is for that, but on, on the same line as my, as my mother dying in the neighborhood. So the New York State of, the New York State Department of Health, when they finally did do a health study, um, they didn't do a door-to-door -door survey. They didn't do a cluster study. So you can't find what you're not looking for. And if you, if they took just the same old um, forms of data and used that for their study, right? They weren't capturing the people who died out of state, who lived their lives in Greenpoint near a certain chemical. They never drew the lines between um, animals and people who died of the same diseases in, in the neighborhood. And these days, um, the studies reflect not very much of a health issue in, in Greenpoint. You would almost think that having having lived on top of an, uh, of an oil plume or next to a PVC manufacturer or by, or by a smelting plant or, or by a sewage treatment facility is actually good for you, you know, because, because we were, our community, according to their records, is pretty healthy, you know, which, of course, I think is a crock of shit. <laughs> Complaining to city, city, state, and federal officials has been very disappointing over the years. Um, in ways, it's been disappointing working with certain community members, too. Um, as I felt that, you know, my health, my health was being really badly affected, and my family, my friends, and the nearby community. There, there were a lot of people who were more concerned about their property va values because um, their homes are, are sitting on top of one of the 
the biggest domestic oil spills in U.S. history. While I understand that, you know, it, that these people have made a big investment and this is their life's work and their life savings, I also, inside, you know, are resentful of all the time that it took to get any kind of traction, you know, on, on agencies and the community actually doing something about the environmental issues. I feel that my life, my, my daughter's life, my son's life, my parents, and everyone who died from an environmentally linked disease is um, more important than anybody's property values. Um, that being said, um, working anytime we reached out to the agencies, especially agencies like New York State Dep Department of Environmental Conservation and the New York New York State Department of Health, it it was crazy trying to convince them that that there was some a big issue that they needed to to look at. Um, at one point, when we were working on um, when the Newtown Creek Alliance was working on trying to get the the state to do a health study, there was one one individual, James Bowers, working for the for the agency, that had the audacity to say something to the effect, "Well, I like I don't know what your mother did during her lifetime. I don't know if she smoked or what kind of life she led." And this is while talking about uh, a person who passed away from primary brain cancer in the midst of two other, pe two other, one person and an animal that also died from a brain disease. I was like, "How dare you?" You know, and and how, and how what this shows about the agencies—it's just astounding, unbelievable. Um, so I, I have a lot of anger toward those toward those agencies, and even today, while things are they're looking prettier in the neighborhood, and things, you know, things are in a way better um, environmentally. You can now smell the air without vomiting, um, which was the case in the the 70s and even early 80s. Um, and the water does look cleaner, the air does look better. Um, there's still a lot of issues. Every time, every time there's construction, um, th in a neighborhood that's basically a, a total brownfield, there's, there's always contamination in the air. Um, there's no way of getting around it, you know, because the the regulations are, are such that they're not 100% protective of human health. Um, if, you know, a, a guy with a hose could be viewed as dust control, you know? Um, when, the, when, the sewage, when the sewage sludge tank was demolished, for example, that's the method of dust control they used to take down the sewage sludge tank. Uh, we, we had photos 
of a guy on a on a tall ladder holding a hose over uh, over a large structure and it was practically like somebody using a water water pistol to to put out a dust storm and it, it, was, it was actually funny that that they would think that this is sufficient now the people's homes around it are, got uh, very much affected there's a, a family who lived who still lives behind the sewage sludge tank who has um, who has a child who has an autoimmune disorder already probably from this neighborhood but if that's not enough then you know the all the dust that was generated from the from the the dismantling of the sewage sludge tank caused her to relapse that this is an example of what's been going on in in the neighborhood all these years and even though we the community is like much more savvy now about making complaints and actually having email addresses for the higher ups and the, all the agencies and even the elected officials even then it's difficult to get them to react the way that they should react when they hear that a child is is being affected by by dust and by environmental illness so so yeah it's it's really disappointing to say the least and it, if I had to tag it with a word I would say criminal because they because the agencies by not doing their job are destroying lives um, Another thing I wanted to talk about are the trucks and what's going on in the community. You know, with the, the over the years, there's been an increase in the um, waste transfer stations in the, in the neighborhood after the closing of um, the Fresh Hills landfill in Staten Island. Um, a lot of uh, waste transfer stations, private waste transfer stations started to pop up in the neighborhood. At one point, we had, I think, 19, 19 of them along the Newtown Creek corridor between um, Greenpoint and East Williamsburg. And that's the case also on the other side of the creek in the Queens area. So what, what that did was it really put another layer of contamination. And to, to make an example, I'll use Beetle Street. Beetle Street, in my mind, is in ground zero of all things toxic. Um, it's, it's smack dab on, on top of an oil plume, um, a TCE plume, a PCE plume, and in the midst of all these uh, waste transfer stations and the truck traffic that passes. When, when I walk through that area, um, these days I, sometimes I give tours um, for the, um, one of the organizations I belong to, which is um, Greenpoint Williamsburg Out Outrage Organizations United for Trash Reduction and Garbage Equity. And when I give those tours, a lot of people get sick. You know, I, I don't 
like that they get sick, but it, they also walk away knowing how bad the, the, that community is being affected. And those people usually go and talk about it, and you know, it, it just the knowledge keeps on moving forward. So, um, kind of at a loss here for a moment. Waste transfer stations and truck traffic has always been a problem in, in Greenpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Yeah. And this last year we had a slight reduction of the amount of, of waste that could be brought into the neighborhood, a small victory. Well, uh, yeah, actually that's a big victory. <laughs> yeah, um, Outrage and a lot of other organizations have been working over the years to um, get capacity reduction legislation and all, you know, all, all different ways of reducing the amount of trucks and truck traffic that are in the community. So recently, uh, Mayor de Blasio signed into, signed into law some bills that will do some of that. We still have a long way to go, you know, to really make the, the, the community have a fair distribution of the, uh, the city's garbage, but it's a big, giant step forward for sure. Um, some, of, some of the work that I've done in the community with the waterfront access actually goes back to a uh, my best high school friend. Her name was Sandy. Um, I later, after having lost, lost contact with her, I learned sometime in the 1980s that she had actually passed away on on the Greenpoint waterfront. Um, a, a van went into the water off of one of the, the piers, and her and um, her and a friend didn't survive. She was very young, and I was I was always crushed about the fact that I you know hadn't seen her and that she died that way. And every year I used to go down to the waterfront, sometimes I still do, and I place flowers on the pier, um, just, you know, just to show that I remember her. And um, that was one of the reasons why I, uh, I was very involved in the, um, the rezoning that, that happened in, in Greenpoint. The Greenpoint Williamsburg waterfront rezoning, that was another huge deal and something that took a lot of people's time and effort. Um, the rezoning task force that was, it was the, the task force was under the umbrella of the community board. Um, some of us were um, actual community board members, others weren't. I was a non-community board member, and I chaired the Parks and Open Space Subcommittee. So the, that committee, um, our, our mission was to kind of create a vision for what we wanted to see at, on the waterfront in terms of, of green space and waterfront access. 
but it was kind of difficult because our community never really had access to the water. So this was really new. We didn't know anything about boats and you know infra infrastructure for uh, for ships coming in and that sort of thing. So our, our our committee did a lot of research, a lot of outreach, you know, to organizations that did know about those things. There was like the Waterfront Museum in Brooklyn, the, um, the Metropolitan Waterfront Alliance, and Riverkeeper, and a bunch of others that we collected comments from and advice. So eventually we came up with what I thought was the really good rec recommendations for the, uh, you know, for the access. Of course, we didn't get all of it <laughs> because um, it, was, it, it was kind of like another, dis in a lot of ways, very disappointing um, that the city, ki they kind of knew what they wanted for the for the waterfront and and it wasn't loads of green space that they, they just they, they were just here to um, zone it for zone it for residential towers and everything else is uh, an amenity for those towers so we had to work extra hard to like get at least certain amenities and to make sure that you know the the that that like even the people that didn't live in those developments would have access to the parks and so forth so uh, we focused in on those recommendations um those those uh recommendations those recommendations included um like like design um like how we were going to use the park, um, how, like what type of benches we wanted, what kind of lighting, um, did we want? Did we want just a straight shore, or or did we want something that was more natural? So, so we we managed to get a lot of these different. Um, recommendations on record but then later on found out that um, that a lot of them are just that recommendations they're not requirements at the time we we were sold the the, <laughs> the, the goods that it was that that the city that the city would um, actually make our recommendations happen happen and that's not the case so we are still, as a community, fighting to fighting to make the city use those recommendations. And recently, um, w especially with certain community members at leading it, like K Katie Napolitowski and and <laughs> you, Acacia, <laughs> and other people. Um, it, the city city councilman um, is has been really helpful to get some commitments that the, the recommendations will, will be used. Okay, so I'm gonna go back again. 
back again in time to when the Manhattan Avenue and Newtown, Newtown Creek Street End was full of uh, pillars and, and trucks, abandoned trucks and that kind of thing. When Greenviews and I always get bad name tongue-tied because it's a long time ago. It's either waterways and green views or vice versa. But it was a small organization with a few, just a few people who wanted to, you know, cut through those barriers to get to the waterfront. And at the same time, there was um, a, a person named George Trakis um, working with the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee and the New York City Department of Environmental Protection to design the what's now the nature walk that goes around the 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 plant. Um, so back to the Manhattan Avenue and Newtown Creek Street end, we we held a lot of cleanups there. Um, it was really like hands-on type of cleanup where we needed to get the Department of Sanitation involved because some of the things there, these huge footings of the of the old bridge and were just like tremendous. There's no way we could have moved them. Um, but they helped us move them in a way that it gave us at least access to the water. Um, and they moved abandoned Jersey barriers in a way that it created this kind of like bootleg, <laughs> really, really uh, home homemade pier. It was very small, but it was just enough that people started going down to the waterfront. Even me, my husband, my kids, we used to go down there and go crabbing. We didn't eat the crabs because we, we knew at that point that there was something wrong with the water. But there were a lot of people who had been climbing over all of that junk that we never passed to go crabbing. A lot of people were actually, especially like the older Polish people that lived here and also the Hispanic people were, were eating those crabs. That's how they were feeding their families, low-income families. And it gave my, my husband and I an awareness at that point, too, of the level of poverty that, that was actually here because of the... Uh, um, not because of that was affecting like the Polish immigrants and the Hispanic immigrants. Later on, we had um, an influx of Asian people and um, and so forth. So um, we did everything that we could to clean up that that street. And I remember one of the Barbara Mahalik, right? She was one of the co-chairs of the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee. I remember her coming across a nest of rats and actually picking those rats up by the tail, right, and, and, and <laughs> kicking them out. <laughs> and as she, as she was doing it, the, 
the seagulls would f swoop down and, and, and grab them. And we were just like dumbstruck that this, it was happening that way, but it, we just kept on clean, uh, cleaning up. At one point, um, at another cleanup, um, uh, Carol Woodward, who was also very active on, on the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee, she um, she arranged with I think the name of the organization is AmeriCorps, right? To have volunteers come and do cleanups at several locations. One of them was on Whale Creek. That's one of the the tributaries that are like closest to the the digest what's now the digester eggs at the sewage treatment facility. Um, one site by Barge Park, and also at the Newtown Creek, Manhattan Avenue street end. So we had teams. And our team, um, my husband, me, my six children, um, Bob Gormley and a bunch of others cleaned up the, the the surrounding area of the park and along the sewage sewage sludge tank and and some deserted property there it it was a huge task but we we got got it done um carol and her team worked on whale creek they carry i remember them carrying tires having to carry abandoned car parts um and so forth and at the Newtown Creek um, Manhattan Avenue site they again they were still working on moving pillars and um, taking out chunks of concrete out of the ground so later on in my view that that was some of the groundwork that that happened before things like and groups like the North Brooklyn Boat Club um, and, and other such groups were about. Um, because once, once people actually started getting to the creek and started seeing the creek and knowing that there was fish and fishing to be done and, you know, boating to be done, more and more people did that. That, that became an issue um, of sorts because you could view that two different ways. Um, it was kind of, it was kind of unhealthy, still is, and a, a little dangerous to use the Newtown Creek the, for those purposes. Um, the water isn't healthy. You're not supposed, according to the New York City Department of Health, you're not supposed to touch it. Otherwise, you're at risk. But yet, but yet, using the creek um, causes the bar to be raised on how how the agencies are going to classify the water body. In other words, the less you use it, the the less um, the less concern there is on the agency's part to get it cleaned up. The more it's used, the more you know, the more the agency has to worry about 
the, the level of cleanliness of the creek. So, so you know, anybody that was working on um, getting people to do the creek and into boats and getting them to fish were kind of viewed in a weird eye by, <laughs> by people. Um, and I think that's still the case because the, um, I, I know that the North Brooklyn Boat Club goes through some criticism. Um, I, I think that, I think they're terrific. Um, for me, they're, they're pioneers. Yeah. The only, the, my only concern is that some of the new people may not be, you know, so, so informed so they, they go there thinking that it's just maybe like I mean it is fun and games you know it is fun you know then it is nice to get on the water and you know to see something new and interesting and even even the feeling of danger is you know I mean I've experienced that myself but in the back of your mind you have to know you know that you're you're there as as somebody who's improving the environment and and that you really shouldn't take risks that you don't need to so that that's been that's been another uh, another slice of the of what's going on in the, the neighborhood and, and and on the waterfront um, I, I was I was thrilled the times that I've been able to get on the water um, the first time I actually, even though I knew that the Newtown Creek was polluted and that it had affected me, I had never really seen it up, up close ex except for when we finally had that little bootleg park at the street end. And I, of course, never had been on anything like a rowboat or anything on, on, on the Newtown Creek. The first time I went, was with Bill Shuck and with Basil Sagos. Basil, Basil was the chief investigator for Riverkeeper, and Basil was a guy who lived uh, along the creek who, did, who was actually boating there for, for quite some time, so he, he knew the, the creek well. The first time that I, the first time that we passed by um, where the, um, ExxonMobil um, oil is actually seeping into the creek. I, I, I cried. It was like surreal for me. Um, the, the top of the water was so thick with oil in that, in that area that, I don't know, it, like, it looked like what they now call black mayonnaise. Um, that's that's a term that was tagged, I, I think, by by Mitch Waxman, um, uh, somebody who's involved with the Newtown Creek Alliance now. Um, another person who, you know, who was very knowledgeable about the waterfront access, what was going on at the creek, um, about the oil, was a person named Ber Bernie Enty. Bernie Entity's not Bernie Entity's not with us right, right anymore. He he passed away, um, but in my mind, he was one of the one of the early Queens Queens people 
that really pushed the beginnings of the Newtown Creek Alliance. Um, I, I actually met Bernie walking over the Pulaski Bridge and we got to talking. He was, he was kind of a wise guy. Um, he saw me stop looking, looking at the water, taking pictures, and he, he was wisecracking and asking me all kinds of questions about the kids. And, you know, I just kind of looked at him like he was crazy at first. And then he started laughing, and, and I started laughing. And I learned that, you know, he was, a, he was doing a lot of photography work, and he, and he was um, actually photographing wildlife. And when I heard him say wildlife, I, I looked at him like he was crazy. And, you know, right at that point, given all my family's health conditions and how I felt about the creek, I was all like doom and gloom about it. Whereas Bernie, he saw all the positive things about it. He, in his mind, he saw, he saw a future for the creek. He, he thought that the shape of the creek was great, that it had all these possibilities for clean business and that, um, and that there was loads of wildlife there. I didn't believe him. Then I, I think it was, it might've been like a couple of weeks later my husband, me and the kids were crabbing at the Newtown Creek Manhattan Avenue site and I couldn't believe my eyes. I saw a pair of swans on, on, on the creek and while my kids were calling to, to them and throwing bread in the water for them to come, I, I, I remember running home to get my, my camera. <laughs> I did get back in time to, to photograph them and the, the picture ended up in think the Greenpoint Star. So because back then it was news if you saw saw something like that. So then I got even more curious about this wildlife that Bernie was talking about. And then he he suggested, you know, meeting, you know, which which we did. Some of us some of us met. Um, and I remember it was him, me, um, Eric Bard who now is, he, he kind of leads Harbor Lab on the other side of the creek in Queens. Um, a few other people, Christine Hollowitz from, uh, she, she was working as the liaison from the, from the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee. Um, Irene Clementevich was at that meeting. She's, she's like the, um, She's she's a real like environmental diva of of the uh, neighborhood. She's my Erin Brockovich. <laughs> so, um, and we met and we were talking about all these things. And some of the some of the the Green Pointers were very um, kind of suspicious of Queens folks. You know they. It was kind of a weird dy dynamic that was happening. Every time there was a meeting between communi different communities, they kind of like eyed each other like they, they were intruders or that they didn't know the, the neighborhood and that kind of thing. And it actually took a lot of doing to get people from different communities to work together. You know? um, at 
one point, I remember being viewed as kind of like a traitor to Greenpoint, you know, because I was work because like I would just because I decided to go to a Queens meeting or a Williamsburg meeting and just you know to see what's going on because I felt like we're breathing the same air, we're using the same water, you know, and I just wanted to know. So, and you know, later on later on in years that kind of came in handy for me for when for when I was doing things like testifying at meetings because I, I was able to know what the, the connections were. Like like these days, um, whereas in the past the the Greenpoint waterfront was viewed as only like a, a Greenpoint issue you know and like sort of that the that the spill belonged to only them um that now um the it, it it's it's viewed as a more citywide issue it's viewed as um as an issue that affects both sides of the creek and in fact there there are documented um oil spills and things very similar to what happened in Greenpoint on the Queens side and those spills are affecting the same water that we touch so so that w it, bad and also good <laughs> it's good that people really started to understand that 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 the issue wasn't only theirs um so the over the years the Newtown the Newtown Creek Alliance was formed. Um, there was already this little group of people that were kind of pseudo connecting and you know like every once in a while working together on a, a little project or or something. And then um, at one point, Riverkeeper uh, did a tour. Um, Captain Lipscomb was the, the the person who who was steering the boat. Uh, they they came onto Newtown Creek. Um, my understanding is by accident. Um, they they were they had been waiting to access a different waterway, and weren't able to because of weather conditions or something like that. And they ended up on the creek, and they rediscovered the Newtown Creek oil spill. You know, the Greenpoint oil spill, the oil going into the Newtown Creek. So um, Basil Sagos approached, I believe, um, the city councilman's office, who, who then was um, David Yasky. And under him, there were, the, you know, his staff were very helpful in getting a meeting together um, to see like what what the pe what the people in the community really wanted to do about it now at that point I had already felt as I said before that um, I, I I really had a thorn in my side about about property owners not acknowledging the spill and I felt that it was doing harm to other people in the neighborhood and that it, it really needed to get cleaned up and um, and put on everybody's radar. So so I, or, I went to that meeting already with that 
not, not so much a chip on my shoulder, but like wanting to see something happen where these agencies and the companies would be sued. So I was like thrilled when, when Basil asked if anybody would be interested in doing a lawsuit. And I think I was like one of the first ones to whip up my hand, you know. So um, there were some of us who signed on as co-plaintiffs in the, the Riverkeeper lawsuit against the oil companies. And that was Debbie Masters, Bill Shuck, me, my husband, Mike Hoffman, um, Teresa Toro, and Ralph Carl. And that was yet another set of meetings that, that, that we attended um, on top of power plant meetings and, and waterfront access meetings and on top of um, Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee meetings and um, Newtown, now Newtown Creek Alliance meetings, but now we were attending meetings for the, uh, just about the oil spill and that was a lengthy process. Um, but we were thrilled when, when, the, the, when the lawsuit morphed into something bigger and all of the elected officials signed on and things actually started happening at a rate that I, I, just, couldn't, I just couldn't believe. Um, it's my understanding that this case got settled before the Exxon Valdez case did. That, that was my understanding. I, I actually haven't looked that up. That'll give somebody who's listening it <laughs> a chance to, to look it up. Um, but we, we ended up getting a big settlement. Um, I believe the amount was $19 million. That $19 million went toward um, went toward all kinds of environmental projects for the community. I was part of um, a couple of the uh, proposals. Um, one, of, one of the proposals made was the HOPES project. And that project, if it had been approved, all right, w would, have, uh, would have done something closer to you know, what I've been interested in, in addressing community health. But it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't approved, but there were a number of other, uh, a, a number of other um, projects that I'm very happy that went forward, um, green roofs and, um, and uh, an array of really awesome projects. So I was happy about that. Um, especially, I've, you know, I've been, I've been involved with a number of organizations. So I was, I, I was closely involved with the, um, the GSEF fund, which, which is, you know, that. <laughs> um, so I, I was involved with that group. I was involved um, with the, with outrage, with, NCA with NICMIC and even the Kosciuszko Bridge Stakeholders Advisory Committee and a number of others. Um, 
and that's an, another story too with the with the Kosciuszko Bridge, um, when when the state agencies came to the neighborhood, um, they announced that they they were indeed going to look into um, either rehabbing the Kosciuszko Bridge or 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 removing it completely and and building a new one. So the community needed to get involved to make sure that the, the, the best plan was in place. So we was actually still working with that with that committee also. The bridge isn't complete, although one side is completely up and, and it looks beautiful. Um, the the New York State Department of Transportation in in my view has been one of the the better community community experiences I've had because they over the years they were very receptive to community input and we worked well together and it it was just a pleasure you know in comparison to other uh, other groups that <laughs> that met um over the years when when we used to meet like with the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee and meet with the New York City Department of Environmental Protection, there were times at those meetings that um, got very argumentative. Um, you know, they they seemed to push back more than other state agent than other agencies. So we we used to have to um, reach out quite a bit to elected officials to make sure that they that they were present. You know, at times when we were trying to uh, push amenities forward and that kind of thing. Um, that's actually the case now. Um, so for the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee, that that. That committee is a little bit different than others in that this one is mandated because of a EULA process. So it's mandated to the point of um, that of all the contracts being complete. So that is almost to the to the end. And when when the project is completely finished, the Newtown Creek Mon Monitoring Committee would no longer exist. But we are, but there are still projects in contract, um, and that's the one of them is the the final phase of the nature walk. Now, because because it's coming like winding down to the end, um, DEP has they've been very difficult about having meetings and they've been very difficult about um, uh, e even even about having a liaison available to us so so it's actually something that we are fighting now um, and trying to get attention to because the because uh, according to the uh, agreements um, we believe that they're legally required to have a liaison, and that they, and, and that we should still be meeting monthly. Um, 
they, of course, DEP, like I said, is pushing back. They disagree. They don't want to meet monthly. They want to meet quarterly. When they, when they do meet quarterly, um, it's because we've pushed. And when they meet quarterly, the information provided is scant. <laughs> so we, we end up doing a lot of, um, again, reaching out to elected officials, you know, to kind of push, push those issues along. So now, as far as being happy, am I happy with the work that I've done or that the community has been doing? So I would say yes and no. We've had a lot of successes over the years. Um, of course, we, the community, bet, bet two power plants. Um, it, it really did a lot as far as um, truck traffic is concerned. Um, still, a lot of truck traffic, but we have come a long way with, uh, with pushing for different laws to be, to be passed and for different campaigns to be launched and to get awareness about, about the issue. Um, and even, even via the Kosciuszko Bridge Project, um, I actually attended those meetings on behalf of Barge Park Pals and uh, an outrage. So while when my vote, when it came to p selecting alternatives for the bridge, um, boiled down to the one that would knock out two of the waste transfer stations. So that's the one that I voted for and the, and, and the one that we pushed for. We, we went to person to person that, that was, that, um, for, who was a member of the SAC committee, the, um, the uh, Kosciuszko Bridge Stakeholders Advisory Committee. We went to all of those individuals and told them, you know, that the that this particular alternative would knock out the, the those transfer stations. Yeah. So many of them voted for that alternative based on that. So things like, you know, things that happen like that are very. Um, very rewarding when you know that some of the outreach that you did, you know, actually made a difference. Um, I see, I see big differences in the Newtown Creek, e even though it's still very polluted. Um, it's way better than it was, and to the point where the, where I am seeing, all of that wildlife, that that Bernie Enti spoke about. We've seen cormorants and geese and and there's there's even raccoons and all kinds of all kinds of wildlife on the creek. So to me that's that's even a victory. So if we go further if we go further than that and are able to get the agencies to do a really bang up job in, in cleaning it up, I'll feel very good about that. As far as the Newtown Creek Monitoring Committee work, 
and the work that that we've done on that committee that's that too I'm very satisfied with the work we've done we still have work to do but we actually got a lot accomplished even citywide that a lot of people don't know about for for instance um through that journey um there were issues like acrolein there were there were emissions of acrolein along greenpoint avenue so to make a long story short um the the regulations right weren't actually set for acrolein so our committee pushed um referring to the uh, work that's been done in California regarding acrolein to get the New York agencies to follow suit and to to actually come up with recommendations for it because otherwise um, as much acrolein as they wanted to be emitted could be emitted so eventually the work that we did will result in in um, a limit which had never been there before. Um, while the while the remediation was being done um, to prepare for the um, for the pr for the property to be um, you know for the for the actual upgrade to happen and for the buildings to to be built they had to remove oil and during that process there there was a lot of odor so the committee the committee had to alert a lot of uh, different officials you know that it was happening and get them to stop you know and we we were successful in getting them to stop we were successful in getting them to commit to certain programs and certain steps that they had to take moving forward which won't only affect wouldn't affect only the the work that was being done at that point but also in future remediations so now DEP definitely has a, a program on how they address um, for instance, sludge bubbles coming out, <laughs> like in the in in the final tanks, um, when things went awry, um, we had an event where the the final tanks where all the poop <laughs> and everything goes, the it's just started bubbling over and it bubbled out into the street, so. Um, and nobody had uh, a set plan or protocol on how that type of event would be cleaned up or controlled. So we pushed to make sure that there was actually a program and a protocol to address that kind of thing. And for lack of a better word <laughs> or term, we used to call them sludge bubbles. Um, and the same goes for the um, the way the way the oil was remediated. So now um, the the trucks must be washed, you know, when coming off of a property. Um, the area must be covered as soon 
there has to be there has to be um, odor control in place before they start remediating. Instead of being reactive, they now have to be proactive. So those are successes as well. Um, So I'm very happy with that. Um, As far as the, as far as the, um, the rezoning goes, am I happy with that? No, absolutely not. Um, the way I look at the community, the things that have changed are that, um, okay, we can, we can breathe a little better, you know, but the land is still contaminated. Um, we have new people moving in that don't really know that the land is contaminated. So when when their neighbor's house across the street is being is, is being uh, demoed and remediated, their children now uh, it can be exposed to some of the same chemicals that we were exposed to. So so I worry about that because it's, it's after having lost grandchildren to to environmental. Um, deformities and things, um, I take that really serious. Um, the neighborhood in general looks the same way that it looks looked years ago, only taller. Um, we still have the same areas that are taken care of less than others. Um, we still have stores in the same areas as before now but now of course they've changed um instead of having a bunch of mom and pop stores that um where you could actually buy anything you needed on the avenue years ago that's all changed in that the 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 businesses are on the hook for for obnoxious amounts of rent that they just get displaced to, to things like chain stores and banks. So it's, it, so the rezoning hasn't done very much for the economy here or for, in for that matter, in our quality of life or our social life. Like there used to be a very social el- element to when, when I used to take my kids to school. You know, I used to st- I used to do my shopping o- along the way, um, and I could stop for to buy clothes. I could stop to you know eat, you know at at a uh, at an income that I can afford <laughs> that I could afford, um, and I I was just able to get everything I needed on the avenue. There was no need to order from say Amazon or or you know to go out of the neighborhood but there's for example very few clothing stores here um, and those clothing stores are for a certain type of clothing or a certain um, financial level clothing um, years ago we used to have places that where we could go to buy suits and your wedding materials, your wedding gowns, 
anything, anything that you can think of, and all that's changed. Um, another thing that's changed is that the neighborhood is mostly white now, and it used to, it used to be white, and then we had an influx of Spanish people, Asian people, um, for, we started to get an influx of black people, and now in the areas where there's, uh, where there's uh, residential towers, it's mostly white people. And, and for me, that's disturbing, you know, because many of, my, many of our friends got displaced um, and family got displaced. So we're, we're a very mixed family, even though my husband and I are white and my children are white, right? Most of my children are married to people of color. You know, and I, my grandchildren are of color. You know, we, when my grandchildren were, were, were growing up, and of course there's still some growing, growing up, still some that are little, um, we, we never referred to color. We, we, we referred to flavors. You know, so, so we, our family is a family of flavors. Um, and, you know, I just find that, especially in the way that things are in the country at the moment, you know, that, I, you know, it just baffles me that, that there's so much going on in that, in, in regarding race, you know, like on that federal level. That peop that the people who are making the most noise here locally, right, are ignoring the fact that it's here, it's right here in our neighborhood, right. And I don't see one group or one entity that's actually doing anything about that here, except for the 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 housing counseling agencies. Um, but housing counseling isn't the only factor in that regard, you know. There have to be, in my mind, groups that are more geared to that, I don't, for lack of a better word, I guess social justice, you know, where, you know, to, you know, to bring that diversity back into the neighborhood and make sure that people are treated fairly and, you know, it, even that gets into, like, like what even how we how we are governed here um for example not too long ago we our congress person used to be Nidia Velasquez and she was redistricted out of our area so our area at that at that point became no we are no longer an environmental justice area so, which to me is, again, baffling. Okay, yeah, we still only have white people now, right? But a lot of people here are white immigrants. And there's still a factor of classism. There's still, a f there's still the factor of that, even though, even though census-wise, um, people have been displaced, a lot of people who've been displaced are actually still here, only doubled up into other friends and family's apartments. So, 
it's kind of like uh, I don't know when when I when I look at that it reminds me of the way our medical health histories were swept away and 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 how the uh, how the rezoning process actually was a community cleansing it's kind of the same thing being redistricted into not being an environmental justice neighborhood anymore yeah and it kind of gives gives higher government the ability to real really whitewash the neighborhood all right laura well thank you so much for your story <laughs> you're welcome <laughs>